Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I don't do the most, but I do a lot. I'ma make a toast, cause we still alive. Razorback fans, welcome into another edition of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle Sutherland. Myself and Porter Hayes will be manning the ship today. And uh, we're going to talk about some the really good weekend that we had in baseball and softball. Of course, the baseball team opened up this weekend. And uh, the basketball team, of course, on the men's front, had a very heartbreaking loss. The women continue to hit their stride as they are re- trying to hit the, the NCAA tournament. And we're going to discuss all that stuff. We've got a pretty loaded show. want to start off first with the baseball team. Man, 29,000 this weekend. You fans showed up great. It was incredible at atmosphere as it always is and i mean 27 to 5 can't get much better than that i mean porter in terms of razorback sports besides the basketball team losing to mississippi state in the final seconds i really don't know that it could have been much better than this oh definitely i mean this the for the fans you know they've been waiting on baseball season for for months i mean it's what they always look the past few years. It's like, you know, on to baseball season, you know, so uh, until the other sports start picking up, it's going to be this way. And, and, and I know Musselman's done his job and, and really got the most of his players, but I think that's what, you know, the, the non diehard fans are going to have to get used to until the other programs start picking it up on the men's side. You know, it's going to be, this is a baseball school. So, uh, but yeah, man, it was a crazy weekend. Of course, with a team like Eastern Illinois, you expect them, you know, they come out and handle business, you know, but for them to come out as hot, I mean, Heston cursed at, oh my gosh, 583 batting average, 1.667 slugging, and he had a 643 on base average, had seven hits, four homers, and 10 RBIs this weekend. I mean, I mean, for he really lived up to that preseason All-American billing, and they were one through nine, I mean, the leadoff hitter in Webb, Franklin, you know, Opitz, all these guys were just putting the ball wherever they wanted to at will. And Nesbitt as well. I, yes. I don't know if, if you noticed, but the past two days they faced lefties and they switched Opitz and Moore in the six and eight spot. They need to keep they they need to keep Nesbitt or I'm sorry, they switched uh, Nesbitt and Moore. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I messed that up completely. It was Nesbitt at the sixth spot, Opitz at the eighth. I completely botched that. They need to keep him at the sixth spot whenever they're facing lefties because, man, he was making some plays really, especially in game two, but also on Sunday as well. And, I mean, yeah, Braden Webb, you mentioned that. That guy in his in his first inning at bats, and game one he draws a walk, game two he has a home run, and then game three he's got a single, and also he's made some really great catches in the in the left field as well. So great JUCO product as they've done with so many of the players, and just can't say enough overall. Of course, Wicklander had a pretty decent game, definitely was not his greatest stuff, and of course Blake Adams in his debut today, I wouldn't say that he played a bad game, but it's definitely going to take some time to get his feet wet. But Connor Noland, man, six. <laughs> innings that he pitched in the first game, 11 strikeouts. And a guy that I don't think that we're talking about enough is, is Caleb Bolden. That's my unsung hero for the, for the entire weekend comes in and pitches three innings and, and three strikeouts. He was projected to be a starter last season. That's one of the reasons why we had two, two true freshmen starting on the weekend in Wicklander and Nolan because he had had Tommy John surgery. He had, he had had a couple of starts. I believe it was three and was three and zero during the 2018 season. 
and was expected to do some big things last year, but of course was out for the entire season. So that's a guy that, that not enough people are talking about as well. The relieving is just kind of something that we don't know a whole lot about. It is Cole Ramage going to step up and possibly end up being a starter maybe on Sunday if Adams is not quite ready for it yet? There's still some questions to be answered there as we get into tougher competition. But overall, I don't see that you could have really asked for much better from this team. Yeah, and you're kind of touching on Nesbitt. I noticed on in yesterday's game, you know, they put Casey Martin on base twice and, you know, intentionally walked him twice. And, you know, Nesbitt, I mean, took full advantage of it. At, you know, one point he was three for three. So I think, you know, moving forward, I think that's really going to see, you know, this other competition coming up. They're going to think twice about just going putting Casey Martin on base because if Nesbitt keeps on uh, – you know, racking up the hits and, and coming through, they're, they're not going to put Casey Martin on base as much anymore. Well, and something else, I, I actually tweeted this yesterday. If you had listened to the Hog Pod episode where so he releases the one that they always do on Wednesdays, and then right before, I think it was on the Thursday, they had mentioned, had released one where Dave Van Horn was basically just talking about his, his batting order and his pitching lineup, kind of what we're going to be seeing this season. And he, he talked about Kerstead's going to draw a lot of walks. And after what we saw this weekend, he's probably going to draw quite a few walks this season. And then you've got Goodhart in the cleanup spot right behind him. And his question is really, what is Goodhart going to do once, once Heston is on base? Well, he answered that in game two, hits a home run. He didn't have an incredible weekend, but I definitely say that he got off to a pretty good start. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do. He had a pretty good year coming in from Juco last year. But overall, man, I think this is by far, at least in the time that I've been following this team heavily, so which is 2004, around the time that Van Horn got there, I don't think that we've had a better one through nine batting order altogether when you look at the entire picture. I just don't think it's even close. Yeah, it's very exciting. And with, of course, you know, it's opening season, you know, the guys were itching to get on the field and, and, and play. And, you know, this is their – kind of revenge season you know it's Omaha bus for a lot of fans and how they come out and play the fans showed up you know it was a colder weekend and you know for 30,000 fans to show up on a on a opening weekend man, it just shows you how passionate this, these fans are about this baseball season yeah and you got a much tougher competition coming up this weekend against Gonzaga so you've got that series and then you've got the big one in the in the Shriners tournament in Houston the following weekend. So uh, it's definitely going to get harder as we go on in SEC, not just the West. The entire SEC is just brutal this year. It's a very tough baseball conference any year that you look at it. But overall, uh, I think that uh, that they're really, again, like I had said, they, you can't really ask for a much better start than what they did, 27-5. to 5 over three games and the softball team as well. Uh, they started last weekend. I, I believe they dropped one to Bradley and have won all their games since then. So uh, really on the diamond, both teams, boys and girls, uh, really starting off, uh, really starting off really good. I guess in the circle is what you would call it. And softball, I believe is, is the correct term for it. But <laughs> yeah. and again, besides, is, is that what it is? I, I'm, I'm kind of, I, we, everybody calls it the diamond. I mean, if you see, yeah, the diamond you see baseball circles more of the pitching you know in the standing in yeah. the pitcher circle yeah. but um but yeah i mean softball team is off to a 7-1 start you know they finished this uh little I, they had these little invitationals at florida gulf coast i mean they beat Furman 8-1 university of illinois chicago 8-3 and florida gulf coast 4-1 i mean hannah McEwen went three for three today kayla Greaves went two for four with two ribbies 
and Ryan Jackson with three for four. So, I mean, their lineup right now looks, I mean, just a stellar. And kind of what I touched on last week with on the last time we were on talking about softball, I mean, you get you an ace pitcher and, and the sky's the limit when it comes to your team. You get you get that pitcher that can just throw steam and have a good changeup, the good rise ball. I mean, there's no telling where that can take you. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you want to you look at that, and and even tennis, both men and women won this weekend. Just all the sports all the way around, and the women's basketball, which of course we'll get into, they're continuing to stay hot. But man, the one heartbreaker, and and I think out of all the losses that we've had this season, that this game against Mississippi State was by far the biggest. I'd say that, and then right behind it would be Auburn. Very close home losses, games that you thought that you were going to win. I mean, this is we were down 17 in the second half, came back, then we're down nine, and then you came back again, only to have a guy that didn't make an entire, didn't score an entire basket the entire game, knock you out, <laughs> knock you out of contention to win with 0.6 seconds left. I mean, it's just you really couldn't have drawn it up any worse. It was just uh, poor Mason Jones, 38 points. There's two games, or actually three games, where he's had 30-plus points, and it's been a losing effort. And I think, really, when you just look at it, we've said it a hundred times. I know that you made a, a pretty good point last week on the pod. This, we just don't have the pieces. And that just seems to be a, a repeating sound that Razorback fans say about football, about basketball. But that's just the case this year. It's not Musselman's fault. Um, I mean, yeah, if we're going to if we're going to put the blame on him, for lack of a better word, for the wins, then I guess you have to do that for the losses as well. I guess I can't really argue with that. I personally wouldn't go that route. But at the end of the day, you've got a top five recruiting class coming in and you've also got some some size that they're going to have next year, which is what you really don't have this year. Well, and, and the thing I'll say is, you know, the coach doesn't cause turnovers. I mean, and he can't make their free throws. I mean. And this is what I will say about the game. It was a gut punch because I was listening to it on the radio. You know, the Kentucky game, when when Cal got the tee and you thought everything was going good for them and then Kentucky just ran off with it. The, the same thing was like when Seals hit that three, you thought, you know, it game over. You know, you thought they'd had it in the bag. And, you know, when they turned the ball over in that 360 spin and the layup, it's just like, you know, one play can define a game. And that one play, it's just like that was just that let the air like when I was listening to the broadcast and you could just hear the crowd when Seals hit that three and how electric it, it was in the building. When when the game was over, it's almost like they were they were in the gym by themselves. You know, it sounded like Coach Z and Chuck Barrett was the only ones in the gym. It was so quiet after that game. And just that's where that piece comes in. you got to have that, you know, Jones is. He's got to get a little bit more mature of carrying team, you know, shooting that three at the end. You, you're you up one, you drive the basket. You, you don't take a three in that instance because you're up one. At least if you make miss the layup, you, more than likely you're either one going to call a foul or it's going to hit the rim. And But he shot an air ball, which gave, you know, Mississippi State a lot of time just to run down, didn't call a timeout, ran their play, and, and I guess the most gut-wrenching part of it was the guy that had one, you know, two points, and that was his only basket of the game was that tip-in. So, I mean, that was the – I think that was the toughest part of it is the guy that only had two points ends up scoring the game-winning basket. 
Well, and they were able – I'm not going to say they shut down Reggie Perry. I mean, it's, he had 17-8. and eight. He had a pretty good game. Now, in game one, I, I had done a piece earlier this week that I had written up and talked about that it was the Reggie Perry show. I mean, he was just dominant in game one of this series. 26 and 13 was 14 of 15 from the line, from the free throw line. So they knew Arkansas knew that they were going to have to try to sh- to shut them down in the paint. And here here comes <laughs> here comes Tyson Carter in, which I believe he had 10 points in the first game, and God just goes off for 26. And I think what really killed them in the first game, outside of Reggie Perry, you're shooting just over 50 percent from the free throw line. And they only shot like 40% from 40 something percent. I think it was 46 from the field. Well, in the second game, they're shooting 60 and you don't shoot that bad yourself, but it's just, man, they were on fire from a place that they didn't realize the Arkansas. I don't think with their great three point perimeter D that they have had all season. I don't want to say that they didn't prepare for that. They were more prepared for the, the game inside the paint, but man, I just Tyson Carter again, I'll go back to that. He was just on fire, probably the best game that he's had all season. I haven't looked up the stats, but he goes for 26. And again, Ad, I, I think it was uh, Abdul Adu, or I know his last name is Adu. He makes a play at the perfect time and and just two points in the game, but it's the two points that matter most with a, with less than a second left. Yeah, that's the big thing. You got you got a guy like Reggie Perry. I mean, you got a key on him and he ate him up. I mean, mainly at the free throw line and, and Coach Musselman, touched on that pregame you know he really ate him up at the free throw line the last game you know he had 13 he was 13 out of 14 free throw line so when you have to key on you know you you got your one of your best guards out so and you got to try to key on a guy who could possibly be the sec player of the year i mean that opens up someone like you know carter to go off you know i mean we've seen it when when they played kentucky again and i think it was hagan's that they just basically leapt up top of the key and shoot threes and he started drilling them. so now they had to you know stretch up and start guarding that so i mean it's it's a give or take and that guy i'm not gonna say he got lucky he just he had a really good night and that's what happens you know you're you're keying on the inside guys so now that just gives more opportunity to hit threes yeah and before this game arkansas according to joe lenardi's bracketology they were one of the the last four in so it was looking very grim that I mean they were pretty much on life support in terms of their NCAA tournament chances, and now you go into the Gainesville, Florida a team that is playing better. Now they're not the team that we thought they were going to be preseason, but they played pretty two consistently good games against A&M and Vanderbilt, and you go into their house on Tuesday night, and if you lose that game, then it's pretty much to me at this point. We're not really talking unless they go on some sort of run because there is a rumor that Isaiah Joe could be back sometime next week. I don't think that they're going to get him back this week, but it could possibly be the following. And at the last week of February, you somehow maybe get one of your games this week and then you get Joe back. You kind of get back in a rhythm. You go on a run. It's just very unlikely that they make the tournament at this point. But if they lose to Florida, in my personal opinion, we're just talking about what seed we're going to be in the NIT. Yeah, well, and, and I've said this a couple of times over, over the basketball season, you know, committee really looks on that last 10 games of the season, how they go into the, the conference tournament, how they do in the conference tournament. Um, it's just how they've one of their big criteria. They've always you always see the last 10. How, you know, if they get Joe back and say the last 10, they go a, a seven and three, six and four, their last 10. They really show that improvement. 
and then they go into the SEC tournament. So the more games you're losing now, the more you have to win an SEC tournament. I mean, they might have to run all the way to the finals this year. But if they get that run and they make a good showing in the SEC tournament, there could be, you know, a chance that they squeak in. You know, but you're asking the guy to come back and just be 100% right off the bat. So, I mean, it's possible. But then again, I mean, it just depends on how, how healthy he is when he comes back. But the Florida plant, the, you know, playing down there at Florida is uh, that's a tough place to play. And then I think you got Missouri coming back next weekend. So, I mean, after the Florida game, there's a lot of winnable games in the, in the uh, remaining schedule. So, I mean, they could make a good run, and then you win two, three games in the SEC tournament. They could be, you know, they're going to be. It, it's going to come down to selection Sunday on on if the team makes it to the NCAA tournament or not. I just, I don't think it's going to be one of them locks anymore. So you've got six games left on the season and you meant, we talked about Florida. You mentioned Missouri comes in to Arkansas on Saturday, a team that's playing a lot better. Of course, lost to them a couple of weeks ago in an overtime. Then Tennessee comes to Arkansas and then you go to Georgia. Then LSU comes to Arkansas and then you finish the season at A&M. I'm looking at it and I see maybe two more wins. If just just kind of taking a guess at it, I I really don't know that they can win on the road at Georgia. Georgia is not that great, but again, it is a road game. And I, the one that scares me the most is the one at the very last one at A&M. Buzz Williams has done a very underrated job. Now they don't they don't have that great of a record. I know we beat them in January. That was the first SEC game that we played. But he, I, I want to say that they're like seven and four or six and five, something like that, in conference play. So Buzz Williams has definitely turned it around. As Arkansas has kind of gone on their decline, A&M has gone on their way up. So I would say that that would probably be the one that I worry about the most. I think that Arkansas could beat Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee was a better team than them. I think that they just they were off. They didn't. I, I don't even know that I want to say that they didn't want to be there. They just could not shoot. Yes, that was the biggest butt kicking that they have gotten all season. But I, I just I'm not so sure that that was just a game where Tennessee was on and Arkansas wasn't. So I do think that they can win that game. Hopefully you would hope that when Missouri comes in that they can get that one as well. But man, oh, I mean, just just looking at the final six, I see maybe you winning two out of those final six in there. Uh, but still, we've said it a hundred times. I. I think that this team, even at this point, has overachieved. And I, I think that you and I, we've all talked about this. And I was, as I scrolled through Twitter every day, I think back to Mike Anderson's like second, third year. And I'm not, I know I, I'm kind of notorious for going back to previous coaching staffs. And I would be one of those people. I've always been one of those guys be patient, let, let everything play out. But even in Mike's early career, I remember seeing some tweets that I'm like, okay. I, I can kind of, that's reasonable. I can kind of see that. I still have yet to see one reasonable tweet of why Musselman should be fired or whatever. I mean, besides the fact that it's year one, but everything that I've seen just about is completely unreasonable. I think that it's just really the microwave society that we live in where you want everything right now, but we've also been spoiled too because of the hot start. We didn't expect to do a whole lot. I don't think that they're going to finish 11th. I think that they'll maybe finish around the seven to eight, maybe nine range. I don't think that they finish 11th, which is what they were projected to in the preseason. But any way you slice it, uh, especially if they win at least two more games, 
that'll put them at 18 wins in the regular season. And then you maybe still one or two in the SEC tournament or possibly get one in the SEC tournament and still one in the NIT. If this is a 20-win team, I, I really don't know like how you can't be happy with that. Well, it's it, like you said, they got spoiled because of the hot start. But a lot of it is just, you know, a lot of it's the comparison between, you know, the football program and the basketball program over the past eight years. You know, it, they're so used to here we go again. I think that's what a lot of it is. I think none of it has to do with Eric Musselman. It's just that repetitive how things have went for the basketball and football program over the last eight to ten years. Every, you know, they they think that you know, it's like I've said many a times. It's like you know Charlie Brown going to kick the football. You know, every time that the, the Hog fans get hopeful in their in their football program, the basketball program, it's like they they take a slide and until. You know, Musselman gets his guys in, and he, of course, you know they're not fully healthy now. And until they can get over that, that monkey off their back to where they can face adversity and and still win, I, I think that's what it's going to take. But uh, the fan base is just so tired of of getting their hopes up and you know it falling on their face. You know, and not saying that the the team's bad or Coach Musselman's bad. I, it has nothing to do with that. It's just you can think. You know, Bobby Petrino, Brett Bielema, Mike Anderson, and, and Chad Morris for for what is going on with, with the Muss situation right now. I mean, it's just frustration is all it is. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I get it that people are t- – trust me, as much as I say it, I'm tired of, of saying and hearing be patient, be patient, be patient. But that's all you can do. I think one thing, and, I, and I've said this before, I think that one thing that Hunter Juracek has really done a great job of is he knows he knew exactly what this baseball program, or I'm sorry, this basketball program and this football program needed right off the bat. You look at Mike Anderson, I don't think you'll find very many fans that don't appreciate what he was able to do. He's been a beloved guy. I mean, hell, he lived he's lived half his life in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He's from Alabama, lived half his life as an assistant coach and a head coach in Fayetteville. And he, he got you back when, whenever he got, and I, I've said this till I'm blue in the face. I, I remember to this day, the day that he got hired and when he was rumored to be hired, the, the bar that we had set was for him to be a consistent, or at least to be talked about consistently to get to the NCAA tournament. That happened. Now, did we make it every single year? No, we did not. But you made it three out of five. That's a lot more that we had made in the, in the two coaches between he and Nolan. So you got to that point. He just could not get past the second round. We all know the story. Now, he got close, but he didn't get there. So well, we needed, and we let's needed talk something about new. the diehard fans. You know, they, this is the reality of it, and this is where, like, me on outside looking in. They were expecting him to come in and bring it back to the glory days when Nolan Richardson was here. That, that's, that was sure. their expectations. He didn't meet those expectations. I mean, you, you know, he got them, you know, close against North Carolina to make it to a Sweet 16. You know, so he didn't give them that a level because they thought when Mike Anderson come in, oh, my gosh, we're going to be back in the, the 90s again. And we're going to go back to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, maybe a Final Four. And now I will not sit here and say that he his time was was over because it was because that same aspect is what got him two more years than it should have. You know, so it. We got to be. That's why a lot of people, you know, when you float around the the Gus Malzahn name, the Houston Nut name, you hear it in baseball, football. They want what K 
connects them to back when it was good. And that's what happened with, with Coach Anderson, and I think that was his, his ultimate downfall. Is he, he didn't live up to those expectations of what Nolan did, but it's just he, – he, he's almost in the fans' eyes he's a better friend than he is. Like, you know when you have a, a, a girlfriend and you all break up, you become best friends. You're better friends not together. I think that's what happened because, I mean, look at the ovation he got when they done the unveiling of the court, and he come out and they stand an ovation. I've not heard one bad thing about – and you know how trolling – twitter is i've not heard one bad thing on twitter about him since he's he's left well and and where and going off of that yeah i was very proud of the fan base with the way that the with the reception that he got and how and of course you're always going to in every single fan base you're always going to have those knuckleheads that hide behind a keyboard and and get those accounts where they don't even have a profile picture and just to troll that that's what they want to do because they had because twitter gives you that platform and the where Mike failed, I, I'm not even going to say he was a bad recruiter. I think that he was really good recruiter. I, I think that he actually gets a little. I know that he didn't get Malik Monk and he didn't get Kayvon Allen. There was some that he Archie Goodwin, but there's but you also got to think about the Dusty Hannas, the Daryl Makins, the Daniel Gaffords, the Bobby Portises. I mean, he did score some. Yeah, he missed on some, but he also got quite a few as well. Where he struggled with is he just it seemed like and we're kind of dealing with that this year it seemed like that he didn't recruit to try to balance out. Like we knew that Gafford was probably going to go to the NBA. Well, now you've got what, nothing against Reggie Chaney or Ethan Henderson, but those are your two big guys right now. And, and also we got a six, six guy and Adrian Bailey playing the five. And so Mike just didn't. And, and he, he also did not seem to have a very good relationship with NBA coaches. Now I can't really confirm that. That's just really kind of the, the rumors that had been going around for a long time. And what is the goal? Obviously, when you go play college sports, the goal is to get to the next level, regardless of what sport you are playing. But in basketball, it's all about I'm going to go to college for that one year, do the one and done, and I'm going to try to get to the NBA as quick as possible. There are a few more guys in college basketball. I mean, you look at Calipari and some of the guys at the elite programs, Coach K, all of them. But Eric Musselman, you will not find a guy – that has been to the amount that has been to the college game that has been to the, to the, the G league to the NBA has been, has coached two different teams. And so that's where I think that Juracek really knocked it out of the park and to getting a coach that, yeah, he can probably be here long-term, but he's also exactly what you need for this moment. And the guy has done an incredible job recruiting. All he has to do is just, well, I don't say all he has to do, but a big piece of what he does, he goes into a living room he tells you, look, I have been in NBA draft rooms. I have been in the G League to develop guys to get to the highest level of basketball. He just knows what to do. And I think that's one of the many reasons why they have the number five class in the entire country. And he has shown signs of why this team is on their way up. But going along with that, uh, so the men are on a four-game on a four-game lose streak right now. But the women, on the other hand, they've got three games left, uh, and on they they play Tennessee uh, this coming Thursday, and uh, they're ranked right now. They're for sure going to get an NCAA tournament bid. Mike Neighbors doing an incredible job in his third season. Uh, this is and you've covered them, so I want to kind of give just what I've seen this year. I feel that this is for sure maybe a top fifteen team. They can compete with just about anybody in the country. I don't know, and they've shown that they're not quite ready to compete with South Carolina, Mississippi State, the UConn, stuff like that. But would you say that this is probably for sure a top 15 team at this point? 
Yeah, I mean, and and that's just you know, watching you know I've watched women's college basketball you know for a long time. My dad he he was stationed in Connecticut right at the beginning of the Gino Ariema dynasty that he you know he built. So I got to really get soaked in a UConn in Tennessee that rivalry that used to be 20 years ago. And when they're on their game, yeah, they're a top 10 team. In in my opinion, when they're on their game, I mean. They scored a hundred points three times this year. You know, Dungy. I, I think a lot happened, and, and Coach uh, Neighbors touched on it after that Vanderbilt game. I think the girls got a little bit of cocky. They got a little bit complacent because they, uh, you know, uh, that next game against Georgia they lost, and it was a game that they shouldn't even have lost at all. Um, matter of fact, me and Ty was like, you know, this is going to be a blowout, twenty point win, and they end up getting getting beat and, and beat sat not by a lot, but it was, they were just dominated. And after the, the game during the press conference, he was like, you know, when they got back from Vanderbilt, they skipped out on a, a team meeting and a shoot around. And, you know, the assistants didn't inform Mike about this until after the game. So, and he says, I never talked to my players after the game, you know, I keep it cool. And he said, I had a talk with him. So I think after that, it took them a little bit to really get get their head straight, you know, because that was during you know Chelsea Dungy's little slump that she went through. And I think finally they've got their piece back together. They're ready to. Uh, Sometimes you need that little kick in the ass, you know. Even if you're a top team, you know, you need that little kick in the rear end to get you jump started. And you know, today, you know, 108.64 toll free is just toll free to me is the is is the MVP of the of the team this year. Because, I mean, she's 19 points, you know, two for three from the three-point line, nine for ten free throws. You know, Amber Ramirez, she's been a little spotty this year. I mean, she came in with 17 points. You know, Dungy had 18. Michaela Daniels had 10. Golden had 13. So when you get that all-around scoring and everybody comes out to play, um, they're they're ready to roll. And, you know, Ole Miss was down. So this Thursday against Tennessee – it's going to this is going to be a tough test for them because Tennessee is that program, you know, they're, they're you know, and, and I think a little bit of the chip on the shoulder because, you know, last season, Arkansas kind of got snubbed by uh, Tennessee in the in the tournament last year um, to beat Tennessee last year. And then Tennessee gets chosen over Arkansas. But, you know, last year, Arkansas was six and 10 in conference and 22 and 15 overall. They're 20 and five this year, eight and four in conference. So. I tell you what, if, if if Coach Neighbors is not, you know, nominated or up for Coach of the Year in SEC, man, uh, he should he should get it if not be nominated. Yeah, I think it's the, the like you said they got Tennessee uh, again. That's, that's what I was going to touch on. I know that they were snubbed, of course. Anytime it's down to Tennessee and Arkansas, we all know who's going to get that nod. Doesn't doesn't really matter. The bigger brand is going to get it. But you got Tennessee, and then they play at Florida, and then they finish up at Mississippi State. So uh, if they can get Tennessee, it's a very good chance they can probably win the, the two of those final three before you head into the SEC tournament. And they're they're a top four team right now, so uh, in the conference. So who knows what could happen from there? But definitely something. That if you haven't been watching this this team, I know that a lot of people, ever since especially Mike Neighbors got there, 
has have really began to to get show this team a lot of support. Porter is obviously a big reason for that. has has really has really just busted his butt covering this team, and um, they're exciting to watch. If you if you can't get them on TV, just listen to them on the radio. They're fun to follow, uh, and uh, they're they're on their way up even more. They've got it. They've got the right coach to do it. So. Well, uh, well, Porter, man, if, if that's about what you got for this first segment, um, we'll get to the treat here in a second. We're going to have Martrell Spate, former Arkansas Razorback linebacker, also spent time in the NFL, mostly with the Washington Redskins. We're going to have him next. And uh, unless you've got something else, then we'll, we'll take a break real quick and we'll get to that. No, I, I'm excited about the interview and uh, excited about this game coming up Thursday with Tennessee. But, man, yeah, it, it was a really good time. All right. Well, that'll do it for the first segment. Again, please stay with us. We've got a really good one coming up with Martrell Spade. You do not want to miss that. We'll be right back after this message. With spring on the way and home improvements to slay, Corey Hyman and Hyman Services are ready for the task at hand to prepare your home for the coming season. They offer all kinds of handyman work, including home building, mowing, weed eating, edging, yard, or business clean off or haul off, landscaping, power washing, home remodeling, and gardening. You name it, Corey does it. If you're in the Northwest Arkansas area and need that done, give them a call today at 479-347-9336. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So hear me out. It's free. My father-in-law always says, the only thing better than cheap is free. So take advantage of it. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit from your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the podcast platforms out there. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to know to make a podcast in one place. So, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, so we're back on the Hog Talk, and we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Many of you remember him from the 2013 and 2014 seasons when the Razorbacks had one of the best defenses in recent memory. He is joining us from Virginia, and Martrell, really appreciate you coming on, man. How are you doing? Uh, pretty well, man. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, want to start off uh, as we get this going here. So you you grew up in central Arkansas over in the North Little Rock Sherwood area and went to North Little Rock High School and in that time uh, of you getting recruited, you had signed with Southern Arkansas and ended up spending two years uh, at Coffeeville Community College in Kansas. Talk about that for a second of, of why you didn't end up going to Southern Arkansas and why you did go in and spend two years at Coffeeville before you came to Fayetteville. I originally signed to Southern Arkansas just due to, because my brother was there and uh, fell in love with the school and the coaches. You know, they pretty much showed me that they wanted me and. I don't know, man. I felt like it was a higher calling. Um, something deep down in my gut just told me to sign with Coffeeville. And I told my dad that, you know, that's the route I wanted to take. And uh, we're always a little bit kind of skeptical about it because, I mean, so many hours away from home. Not, not really too sure what was going to happen. But uh, it actually turned out uh, to work out into my favor. So, and I just went out on a limb of faith and uh, it paid off for me. In your time there, I'd, I'd say you were pretty successful in two years, 231 tackles, 22 and a half tackles for loss and three sacks. In your time there, of course, both years you were a JUCO All-American. When you were there, of course, there were some schools that had 
had resisted giving you the offer because they had said that you were a little too small. Now, we know that that was the case with Bobby Petrino's staff and then when John L. Smith was the interim coach. What were some of the schools that you were getting looks from at your time there? Uh, I was heavily recruited by Rutgers. Um, They actually offered me. uh, Kansas State was on me pretty tough. Uh, At a lot of big-name schools like Ohio State, um, was talking to Ole Miss for a while, but eventually uh, they just never offered me. It's just pretty much talking. Pretty much the whole size thing came about again. You know, I went to Ohio State and, you know, Urban Meyer is grabbing on my arm and trying, you know, sizing me up, see, you know, how big I was. And, you know, I just, that's pretty much what's the story with a lot of the big name schools and Bobby Petrino, man. Not Bobby Petrino, forgive me. Uh, Bobby Allen, you know, he, he made a promise to him that he was going to push to, you know, get me there in Arkansas, man. He said he, he couldn't promise anything, but he was going to do his best. And, you know, he kept his word and I'm forever grateful for him. He, he pushed me, he got me a scholarship. Let's continue talking about Bobby Allen. So you had mentioned that he was the guy that was really pushing to get you that scholarship because just like every guy from Art that's born and raised in Arkansas, that your dream is to become a Razorback. And when Brett Bielema was hired after John L. Smith had spent his year as an interim, that was the first visit that they had made. Now, I know that it was pretty famous that the one of the first calls that, that Coach Bielema had made was to Hunter Henry, who, of course, was a senior in high school at Pulaski Academy at the time. But run us through when the visit that Coach Allen and Coach Bielema, when they came to, to talk to you in Kansas, talk about that. Was Were they immediately at that moment that they offer you, or did they just come talk to you and offer later? Uh, Coach Allen, he made a few visits up there to Coffeyville, actually, um, by himself. And once they came down, well, once Coach B got hired, he actually came down to uh, Central Arkansas, and we all met at my grandparents' house, so. My grandparents was a big Arkansas Razorback fan, and you know it was a tickle to death for them too, as well as my family. So it was a big family gathering, and they actually offered me on the spot. And he said something to me that actually, you know, made me think about signing with Arkansas. You know, because I took it pretty personal when they told me that I was too small, and uh, you know, that just pretty much put fuel on fire, man, for me to go out there and you know prove my worth and prove that I can go out there and play. And Coach B drew a line on a piece of paper and saying that the decision that I made pretty much is going to affect, you know, later years down in life, you know, um, said pretty much that he couldn't, he apologized for the previous staff, you know, saying what they said and he didn't agree with it. And he told me how much he believed in my abilities and pretty much just drew a timeline just saying that, uh, you know, I'm sorry what they did. I had no control over it, but, you know, you can change the course of your life now. And, you know, they offered me, and we I don't think we went to sleep that night. You know, me and my dad, we stayed up all night uh, just trying to come up with the pros and cons of, you know, what decision to make. And sure enough, Arkansas came out on top. So when you accepted the scholarship from Arkansas, you make your way to Fayetteville. 2013 was a tough year for you, uh, just just in general and, of course, for the team as well. That was just kind of getting your feet wet. You see that happen with a lot of people whenever they come from the JUCO ranks. But 2014, man, I mean, maybe one of the greatest seasons for a linebacker in SEC history. You were first team. What was it, about 125 tackles, something around there. When you When you were coming from the 2013 season to fall camp before the 2014 season began – 
was it just something that you knew within inside of you that it was just going to be a better year? Did, could you tell that you had improved just so much more from the previous season? What was it that just made you go off the way that you did? Uh, well, first and foremost, you know, glory to God for me to have that you know season. Um, but I think the biggest thing, man, was just having a coach that believed in me. Uh, actually, Coach Smith uh, was the coach out in Rutgers when they recruited me out of JUCO, and it just ironically, you know, Chris Ash got fired, and they brought in Coach Smith, and he told me from then on, man, that he was my guy, and uh, he told me that, you know, it was no, no hard feeling towards me for not signing with Rutgers, and we always joke about it, you know, to this day, and man, I always knew that I had deep down in me, and anyone that has grown up and watched me play the game of football know that I've had it in me, but Coach Smith came in, man, he, he, he truly believed in me, man, and it wasn't easy, but I was surrounded by a lot of teammates and a lot of coaches that believed in my abilities. And after that point, man, it just took off. Just took off. So you look at from when when you had mentioned that you guys had taken off and at the beginning or at the the end, back end of that season. So I guess what was it? Uh, I want to say I guess when you guys got to LSU and back to back shutouts, but with LSU and Ole Miss, what what was it really that? Well, I, I don't want to say what what was it uh, that once you guys got to that point, did you get did you just kind of sense it with the team that things were about to be different because you y'all were the closest team to beating Alabama really since 2006 and. After that, once you got that LSU win, got the monkey off your back, and got the the first SEC win since, what was it, 2012, I guess it was, did y'all know that things were about to be different for the rest of the year at that point and that you were going to make it to a bowl game? Uh, yes, sir. Actually, um, it was a loss that we had. It was a few different losses. Um, obviously, the Alabama loss and the Georgia loss. I think the Georgia loss really opened up everybody's eyes around us because – we started to come back towards the second half, you know, going the first half, you know, that we was getting that butt kicked and came was making pretty much making the comeback, but you no know, time eventually expired on us. And, um, I ended up saying something to the team towards the end of the game. Cause I just want everybody to keep going and keep fighting. And someone said something to me and it made me think it was like, you know, the game's pretty much over now. And, uh, it made sense to me because I did wait at the last moment and, at that moment, you know, it kind of sparked something in me. Personally, just hearing him say that to me, it was like, you know, it's time to step it up, you know. Not to wait till the last minute, you know, let's let's get the guys going now and let's go get it done. And uh, my dad said something to me as well. Um, he was just like, hey, man, it's right here. It's, it's all or nothing right now. I mean, you, you worked your whole life. You fall different kind of obstacles to get to this point. You know, are you going to lay down and roll over or, you know, are you going to go out there and fight? And sure enough, man, seeing it in everybody's eyes, I, I'm not too much big on offense, but as far as defensively, um, looked in Trey Flowers' eyes, Darius Fallon, man, all of those different guys around me, Brooks Ellis, man, Alan Turner. Uh, we all just had that mindset, man, and we all bought into it and, it was a different vibe when we went out there for LSU. Uh, we always go out there after the hog walk and meet up in the middle of the field. And it was just a different vibe, man. There's actually a little clip out there um, talking in front of the team. And I don't know, man. Like, you just felt it. 
And we went out there, it proved, it proved that way. So at that point, we just took that hump, got the monkey off our backs, and it was like, we can keep doing this thing. And everybody believed, and sure enough, it, it, it proved, proved true. So we remember that iconic image of you saying the boot is coming, uh, something along the lines of the boot is coming home after you guys had run over across the field and grabbed it. Is, is that something that you, you actually remember the fans running onto the field? Is it just one of those things that's a blur because of just the adrenaline that is going through? Or is it something that you really recall and that you remember to this day? Oh, man, I remember to this day. I think actually, well, I know that's actually my favorite memory of uh, playing football so far, you know, even from getting drafted and playing in the NFL. Um, that was an experience that I can't even explain, man. Just it was it was crazy to me because it's like, you know, you see it on TV and, you know, you just don't expect it to happen. You know, everything for me has just been a blessing, you know, making it to Arkansas. So I'm just soaking all the, the memories and moments up, man. And that was a moment that I, I can never I don't think anything will ever match up to it. So you guys go on to, I, I believe after the, but combining the Ole Miss, LSU, and the first half of Missouri, it was something like 10, 10 quarters that you guys had gone unscored upon. And you get into a bowl game, which a lot of people will say, oh, wow, it's just the Texas Bowl, big deal. Well, this was, this was a big deal because it really, I mean, anytime you make a bowl, um, it, it is a big deal, but in today's day and age, of course, you know, it's unless you win the national championship, it's not really considered a, a successful season in some people's mm-hmm. eyes. But with the domination that you guys, I mean, of course, it being Texas, that just added something greater to it as well with the the hatred that Arkansas fans <laughs> tend to have for the Longhorns. Man, like, what was it, 14 yards, I think, that you guys gave up rushing? I mean, it was just like Tyrone Swoops couldn't do anything. The offense just couldn't do anything. You guys were just on a mission. Talk about that for a minute. Uh, crazy, man. It actually uh, started out from it actually started out from uh, the festivities that we was doing down there um, during the bowl game, and it's like what was that a rodeo or something, man? And we had like different events where we was competing against Texas players, and uh, I ended up signing up some bullhorn thing, and I feel like that what got everything transpired because it's like uh i never did anything i never tried to rope a bull or a hog before (laughs) so it was kind of hard for me and we just we end up losing to them and eventually in all the events we end up losing it all and after we left there we went back to the hotel and we had like a heart-to-heart from uh the players to the coaches and coach b just asked uh, all the seniors to stand up and say, you know, if you had anything you want to say to the players or to the coaches. And it was it was pretty powerful, man. It was a lot of players in there, man. Uh, you know, tears was getting shed. It was it was it was it was pretty emotional, man. And it was nothing. I feel like it was nothing in the world that was going to stop us from winning that game. I feel like we could have played Alabama and won that game. I mean, it was just a. It was just a different vibe, man. We all just knew that it was going to be our last moment together, man. And we fought through a lot that season. Uh, it was been so many games where we've been winning in the first half and we came back and lose the second half or lose at the last second. Uh, numerous of games, man. And it's something we kept reiterating during the whole game. Finish, finish, finish. And it don't hurt when you have that whole 
SEC uh, monkey on our back where everybody just want to knock us down, you know, for being the power conference. But it was it was it was it was a great experience. So after that game, uh, you start preparing for the NFL draft. And the Washington Redskins ended up taking you 141st over 141st overall. And talk about your time up to that point. Did were you talking to them for the most part, or were there a lot of other teams that you thought you might have gotten picked up by, or was it pretty much the Redskins from the beginning that you had a pretty strong feeling you were going to? Honestly, I met with the uh, Redskins briefly. I didn't even think I was going to get drafted by them. Um, it, the, the moment was so fast that I actually forgot that I even talked to the coach. Um, you know, he called me at the last minute. It was like, I think 11 o'clock was like the cutoff time from uh meeting. So we had a brief meeting and I don't know, man, it was a shock to me. You know, they say the team that, you know, you least suspect is going to usually be the ones that drafts you. And that's what happened on my end. But I wasn't too sure who was going to draft me. Um, I felt like Philadelphia was probably going to be one. And I felt strong about Arizona and actually come to find out Arizona was on the phone right after the Redskins getting ready to draft me. Pretty crazy. So did you guys have a draft party going on and then you got the call or were you, I know some people, I remember Joe Thomas in 2007, the the number two pick overall, he actually, instead of going to the green room was fishing with his dad. Some people kind of need to be alone and there's others that want to be with their family. I know you, you guys, your family is very close were you with them having a party with your family and friends having a party or kind of off doing your own thing? Uh, we had a party. Uh, we wasn't too sure where we was going to get drafted. Um, it was like from the second to the fifth. And my dad asked me, you know, did I want to wait till the last day, which was more than likely it was going to be where I get drafted or do I want to wait till the second? And it's not what I on high hopes, man. So I said the second day, but uh, eventually when I got the call, I believe it was at Red Lobster. Yeah. <laughs> it was at Red Lobster, man. I can't get enough of those biscuits. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm with you there. Well, so you spent you spent three seasons with the Redskins. Had a pretty solid career, 107 tackles. And, of course, you had the – I remember when you got the interception off of Brent, Brett Hundley. I, I hate to admit this to you. I know that the Redskins were not the only team. I'm a big Cowboys fan, so I had to swallow my pride – and uh, start cheering for the Redskins once you were drafted by them. Uh, but in your time with with the Redskins, so you you uh, you were cut by them in September of 2018, and were, and then you had signed with uh, was it the the Dolphins, Jaguars, and the last team was the Chiefs, correct? If I remember yes, correct. Okay, so you you spent that time and then and then ended up retiring. What was it? Injuries? Did you just feel that you didn't have the quite the passion for the game anymore that you have to have in the NFL? What was it that that made you hang it up? Uh, it's just really want to have everything right in my corner. Uh, I actually ended up going back to school. I wanted to uh, finish up my degree. Um, went back to the university and, uh, was knocking out my last few courses to, you know, get those papers. And, uh, the goal always been to uh, return back to football. Um, actually a long story behind all the whole retiring situation, but, uh, the goal has always been to return back to football, it just really just took the year off. So I've been training, man, still been in shape, and, uh, you know, just waiting on free agency coming up the 18th and see what happens. Did you receive any calls from the XFL, or have you tried to play in any other leagues or even the AAF last year? Uh, not in the AAF. Um, 
I mean, I was I was with Kansas City at the time, so I wasn't you know wasn't too really worried about the AFL. Uh, my agent did speak a little bit on the XFL. I uh, wasn't too sure about it. I was actually kind of you know nervous about it just due to the fact of how the AFL uh, turned out. So. You know, I'm just pretty much going on a loop of faith again, man, like I did in college. So um, I know it's not easy getting back into the NFL. It's actually two times harder. So, um, you know, I'm just keeping my faith that everything's going to work itself out and uh, just being ready and being prepared for when that time comes. Martrell, I was kind of wanting to switch gears and wrap this up and talk about the, the college game today compared to when you played it. You know, with the, with the targeting being such a big factor in in today's college football game, kind of give our, our fans and our audience a perspective of, you know, when you're going in for a hit, and just what has to go through your mind and, and your process before you lean your shoulders down and kind of make that tackle, and, and what you see in today's game of how just how hard it is to not lean in with your head and, and be scared of of getting a helmet to helmet contact foul. Oh, man, it's extremely difficult. Um, I feel like it's just continuing to keep getting harder because right in those moments, I mean, there's so much going through your mind. I mean, you're going out there and say, for example, hey, I'm getting ready to go play uh, Adrian Peterson. And you watching him on film, man, you don't know if he's going to juke you. You don't know if he's going to run you over. So in those moments, you know, just like I have to get this guy down. And – Usually, as a defender, that mindset is not, oh, let me make sure I hit him in this area. It's just, let me get this guy down. And so, you just don't anticipate. You just do whatever you can to get him down. And a lot of times, you know, the offensive guy is trying to brace himself as well. So, um, it's often looked bad upon the defensive player because, like, oh, he hit him in the head. But, I mean, it's not really much we can do, you know, when a guy on offense is, you know, hold his head down trying to brace themselves and you know we're just trying to get him down so it's it's very difficult um i mean some guys tackle with their eyes closed uh upon contact so you know sometimes they don't see the target uh some guys like myself uh you know one hits the one hard and it's like uh you just can't anticipate what they're going to do or what move they're going to make so it's just pretty much try to hit them and hope for the best man yeah, I, I know it's it's always like a bang bang, and you, I, I think a lot of people don't realize the just the speed and agility and the size of, you know, a Division One athlete right now, and how just split second decisions you have to make because you know everything is kind of geared toward toward the offense now. But but I kind of wanted to end it on, um, you know, just how the programs kind of went downhill, you know, the past few years, and you know they they seem to have that lack of that leadership role guy in the locker room so i mean if you could give this team and this this new coaching staff any kind of words of advice or or anything to to help them you know try to get that leadership you know what would you say to today's team um as far as coaches wise i mean just showing the players know that you believe in them you know, the worst thing is for a player to go out there and play for a coach and it's like, oh, you know, he don't really care about me. He don't want me to play. Uh, he just, you know, he's uh, uh, a player's, not a player's coach, but has favoritism. I just feel like um, 
if players feel like they have a coach that's going to fight for them and wouldn't go out there and put it all on the line, that the player is going to go out there and do the same. And I feel as if they got the right coach in there, man. Um, I'm very high on coach. And I've talked to a few times, man. I, I, I love coach to death, man. And every player that has played underneath them and was here uh, my years, they love them as well, man, even until this day. Um, as far as the players go, man, the seniors, man, you guys have to just go out there and understand that you come with a set number of games each season, and you're never going to get those opportunities back. You're never going to get those games back. So it's not like, oh, we lost this game. You know, we're going to come back next year. We're going to get them. You know, you have to go in with that mindset every single week that, this is the last time that I'm going to get this done. So you got to go out there with that mindset that you got to do whatever you got to do to make sure that you're prepared. You know, believe in yourself. Understand that in the season is going to be highs and lows. But my coach always told us that you got to, you know, just stay level. During the good times, stay level. During the bad times, stay level. And, you know, things don't always go perfect, but continue to believe in another. Uh, continue to push one another and demand the best out of your teammate. Push each other. Don't don't go out there and brother and love nobody. Just go out there and push each other and venture is going to pay off in the end for it. Martrell, as we close out, I will say, man, one thing I've noticed, of course, just building off of what you just said there, it's really positive that I know that you were there for two years when Coach Pittman was there as the offensive line coach. And to see all these all these players that are there now and, of course, the ones that were there that played with you or may have been there right after, it's very positive to see not just offensive players or not just offensive linemen, but, but defensive players as well that have really bought into to what Coach Pittman is about. And you really – I don't know that you'll find anybody in college football or coaching in general – that can say a bad word about the guy. He just, he knows the game. He knows how to relate to kids and parents, especially. So I, I think that, uh, I think he's going to do some really great things there. And so I, I like that point that you just made, but before we get out of here, I, I've got to give your family a little bit of a uh, little bit of advertising here. If you guys <laughs> are going through Sherwood, Arkansas, go to Feastros. Uh, it's right there in the Indian head shopping center, right off of 67, 167. I was actually in Sherwood, that's my hometown a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, man, not just great customer service, incredible food. If you want pizza, if you want southern food, dessert, seafood, they got it there. And uh, it's a great place, great atmosphere. Make sure you check out Feastros. It's, a, it's an incredible place. And, Martrell, it's been great talking to you, man. We really appreciate you taking some time out. Oh, man, the pleasure been all mine. I thank you guys for having me. All righty. That will do it for another episode. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We will see you next week. My name's Kyle Sutherland. You've been listening to The Hog Talk. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.